Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Good morning. Good morning. I am so thankful that you are here today to worship with us as we are getting started off with a brand new season, of course, not only of school, but of ministry and life here in the church at Crossland Community Church. And we are so thankful that you're here today with us. Many of you have been out on vacation at certain points over the last several weeks or month, and we welcome all of you back today. Some of you who are still wrapping up those things and are watching online, come back in person next week. We hope you'll be here for that opportunity. And also, we have many returning students that were with us last semester or last year, and you're back again today, and we welcome you. But in the midst of all that as well, we have many first-time guests here today, first-time students who are here, some of you who learned about Crosslink just last night at the party in the Berg, downtown Harrisonburg. And, uh, and just, we're so thankful that you're here this morning and excited for all that God has in store for Crosslink here in the days ahead. And I hope and pray that you'll not just be here today, but you will be here throughout the course of this year as we grow together with the Lord. This is an exciting time for Crosslink as God has been working and God has been moving. And really in many ways over the past 10 years, he has been working and preparing us for such a time as this. Many of us have described in leadership that in many ways as we seek the Lord, it feels like God has been working and moving and bringing us to some extent almost like a precipice where we're kind of at the edge of the, 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 the mountain, so to speak, and we're looking out over the horizons with so much excitement and optimism about all that God has in store and how he's leading us. But I believe today is a very strategic moment in the life of Crosslink, and I hopefully and pray individually in each of our own lives where before we move forward, God is calling us to pause, to examine, and to consider some things in our life. I believe there's much that God wants to say in our time together here today. Now, over the past several years here, in fact, the past three years here at Crosslink, we have had a vision here that has been a rallying cry for what God has called us to do. And that vision has been called Greater Things. It's based upon Ephesians 3, 19 and 20, where we're reminded that literally God can do immeasurably more, abundantly beyond all that we ask, think, or even imagine. It's a reminder to us that literally with God, all things are possible. For us, that has been a focus specifically in the way that we look towards church planting and what God is going to do as we identify areas in the valley where there needs to be a gospel-centered, community-oriented uh, ministry for the Lord. It's also been a cry for us as we've looked at missions and what God would do in the area of international missions all throughout the world. But it's also been a focus for us as we consider the, the finishing of this facility and the development of further facility so that we can further reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the coming months, you're going to hear a lot more about greater things. But what I want us to be reminded of today is this. When God gives a word of promise, when he gives a word of, of his assurance, in that he's also giving us practical words of action. God's promises are not merely to encourage us and to make us feel good or to uplift our spirits, though his promises often do that. God's promises are also a very clear call to action. Let me illustrate that in a very personal way for just a moment. 
Today, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to take your Bibles and turn to Haggai, the Old Testament book, the Old Testament prophet in God's Word. If you want to begin doing that, you can go ahead and do that if you want to. And if you don't have your Bibles, the words will be here on the screen. The book of Haggai is an unfamiliar book to many people, but if you've been at Crossing for a while, it probably is not unfamiliar at all. In fact, it was the book of Haggai that God used to call my family and I here in February of 2016. During that time, for a few months, I had been praying about what God was doing in our life. We were at that time living two hours southwest of here, serving the Lord, loving the people there, invested in the community there. And at the same time, there were some things in that process that God had us praying about. And one of those things was this. Was God calling us away from where we were to come to Harrisonburg? And if he was, why would he possibly do such a thing? On February the 2nd, 2016, I was sitting at our kitchen table just having my time with the Lord. But don't you know, when you're just having your time with the Lord, you're never just having your time with the Lord. Because when you're opening God's word and reading his word and letting the Holy Spirit guide you, it is incredible when the Holy Spirit is in control and he's working and he's moving and he's speaking. On February the 2nd, 2016, and that day I happened to be reading in Haggai chapter two. And in that chapter, God says several words of promise to his people in Haggai's day. And I remember, even still today as I stand here, I remember reading those words, and I'm telling you, it was like the pages of God, the words of, of the pages of God's word were just jumping off the page as the Holy Spirit of God was convicting me and assuring me of five promises. Those five promises were, Matthew, I am with you, so get to work. That promise was, Matthew, I will bring the people. That promise was, Matthew, I will be glorified here. That promise was, Matthew, there's gonna be a greater glory revealed in that place than what you've seen here. And the final word of promise was, and in that place I'm leading you to, there will be peace. And I remember in that, mo that moment being so overwhelmed with the promises of God and so moved that I knew in that moment God was actually calling me to action. He wasn't just encouraging me and stirring my spirit. He was calling me to a place of faith and obedience. And I remember being so moved in that moment. I got up from the kitchen table. I walked over to the sofa. I literally knelt at the sofa. And I'm going to be honest to confess, I tried to pray. But I was so moved emotionally the words could not even come out. And I don't know how long I sat there in silence as I, as I sat there weeping before the Lord. And finally, when I spoke, I remember saying, Lord, I'm willing. You called me. I'll go. I didn't know all that would unfold. I didn't know what it would look like today in 2022. I had never even heard of the word pandemic before. I didn't know all that the future would entail. But here's what I knew. I knew that God had given his promise and his promises were a call to action. In Haggai chapter two, Crossing Community Church, I wanna remind us that God has given several words of promise, yes, to the people of Haggai's day, but I believe also personal application even in our lives today. But if we're going to experience those greater things, if we're going to see God further his name for his glory all throughout the valley, if we're going to be the mission-sending church that God has called us to be, if we're going to finish the work that's begun, if we're going to claim the promises of God, it will not be because we felt good about it or because we were stirred up on a Sunday morning. It will be because we put our feet to the work, our hands to the work, our hearts to the work, our head to the work, and we fulfilled what God called us to do. I believe God is saying to Crosslink Community Church, and I hope to each of our individual lives, this simple phrase, 
The time is now. The time is now. I want to ask if you would take God's word with me today and open it to Haggai chapter 1 here in the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with God's word, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, perhaps the words will be on the screen. And I want to ask you to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. We're going to dive right into the chapter, and as we do, I'll back up a little bit and explain what is taking place here in the text. The Bible says this, in the second year of Darius, the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the people says, the time has not come even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, listen to this question. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, listen, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Once again, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes a little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen to this. Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. And Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed, listen to this, reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of the hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. God bless you. you. May be seated. And may he bless the reading and applying obedience to his word. I want to begin this morning by asking you a very simple question. Uh, maybe one that you can relate to, and that question is this. Have you ever struggled with putting something off? Have you ever struggled with putting things off? Maybe you had a specific task that you knew you were supposed to do. Maybe there was something specific on your list of things to do. Maybe there was a list, men, on your honey-do list that your wife has been asking you about for now weeks, if not months. Has there ever been something that you knew you ought to do, you were supposed to do, and maybe you even promised to do, and yet for whatever reason, you just keep putting it off? You keep finding something else to do, something else that's more important, something else that's more exciting. There's something else that's coming along that frankly steals your time and your attention. Well, I believe in, in Haggai chapter one, God is showing us the reality that we can all relate to. 
And that reality is, is that oftentimes when it comes to the Lord and the things of the Lord, it's easy for us to put off the things we know God wants us to do. But I believe what God is saying to us loud and clear today is, Crossing Community Church, the time is now. When I think of that phrase, the time is now, my mind goes back to an illustration in my life from many years ago. You all know, most of you do, that I grew up in the state of Alabama, but one of the things that I'm not sure that I have told you is, when I grew up as a child, I had a great fear of water, which does not serve you well when you grow up in Alabama because there are swimming pools and there are lakes and there are ponds absolutely everywhere. In fact, in my upbringing, we had a pond from the touching it upon, that was just a way of life, but I was absolutely, as a child, terrified of water. Part of the reason that's the case is because when I was a kid especially, I had very severe asthma. And most of the times when I would have an asthma attack, it would happen in the night. And as a child, I would have nightmares. And because I wasn't breathing well, my nightmares would be of someone drowning. It was of me drowning. And it caused me that kind of situation because I was struggling to breathe. And as a result of that, I grew up with a fear of water. And so as a result of that, when I would go to uh, things with my friends, I was invited to a, to a pool with a friend, I would actually go, but I would find ways to fill my time that would disguise the fact that I did not know how to swim. So if I was hanging out with some buddies at the community pool, I would hang out in the shallow end playing basketball. We learned how to play football in the water. Or we would play volleyball and all these different things. I would fill the time without anyone being none the wiser that I had no idea how to swim. I will never forget the summer right after my seventh grade year of junior high. We were having basketball practice one day. We had a team bonding event after that basketball practice and a buddy invited all the team over for this bonding event to have hot dogs and hamburgers and to go swimming at his house. I thought nothing of it. I've been able to hide it for all these years. No one knew that I couldn't swim even though I was very much embarrassed about it. I remember going to this guy's house and sure enough, everybody's getting in the pool and and I'm occupying my time and we're wrestling and playing chicken and goofing off like a bunch of junior high guys will be. But finally, after about an hour and a half of this, my basketball coach pulled me aside and he said, Matt, why aren't you swimming? I was like, I am swimming, I'm in the pool. He said, no, no, why aren't you swimming? I was like, no, I'm in the pool. And he's like, you've not got, you've not jumped off the diving board. You're not in the, why aren't you? And finally I told him, I can't swim. And he was like, hmm, Okay. Party goes on, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I'm goofing off with some guys. I'm literally outside of the pool, kind of uh, horse playing with some people. And all of a sudden from behind me, I feel a gracious shoulder in my back, bam. And before you know it, I'm sitting there in the deep end of the pool. And I I remember kind of flailing my arms, trying, I didn't know what to do. And finally he grabbed me and pulled me to the side. My basketball coach had intentionally pushed me into the deep end of the pool. And I will never forget him saying to me, he said, Matt, Now's the time. I'm not letting you out of this pool until you learn to swim. He got down into the water with me and over the next 30 minutes or so, basically taught me how to swim. Now, please understand, I'm not about to win any races, but I swim like a redneck trying not to drown. But the fact of the matter is, (laughs) I can float with the best of them and even make a little movement in the water today, okay? My point is, in that moment, what he knew I needed was, I needed to be pushed forward and called out of my comfort zone because now was the time. And I believe God was saying to the people of Haggai's day and even to us as a congregation, the time is now. What is it time to do? It's time to do two things. If we want to experience the promises of God and walk by faith to what God is calling us to as a congregation and for many of us in our individual lives, I believe God is calling us to the exhortations of Haggai chapter one to do two specific things. 
If you're ready to discover them, would you say amen? amen? Number one, consider your ways. The first thing, if we're going to embrace and experience all that God has in store, we must make sure that we are taking time to consider our ways. Two different times in this chapter of scripture, God calls the people to consider their ways. This is a call to examine where they're at. It's a call to take inventory over their life. It's a call to really consider who they are and what they're about. Who are they living for? Who is first place? What is the, the purpose and the motivation for their life? Here in Haggai chapter one, frankly, it was a very interesting time for the people of God. God's people, his chosen people, covenant relationship of the Jews had been in Jerusalem for many years. And God had promised them in Jerusalem, listen, if you walk with me, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you. But if you disobey me and you quit walking with me, there will be judgment and there will be consequences. By the time that Haggai's day rolls around, frankly, the people of God had experienced much hardship. In fact, the people of God had rejected God. They had dismissed God. They had turned to other gods and compromised in many different ways in their life. And as a result of that, God was true to his word. He brought to leadership a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler of a region or empire called Babylon. Babylon came into Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, and even church history tells us in 586 BC, and Nebuchadnezzar completely overthrew Jerusalem. He burned the entire city to the ground. He even destroyed the very temple of God. He was such a, a wicked king, he even took the instruments that were used in the temple for worshiping God, and he brought them to Babylon with himself. The people of God were in Babylon as captives, where they served as slaves for many, many, many years. But God in his sovereignty still had a plan for the Jewish people. In fact, it took decades, but finally God's people, in a place of humility, in a place of brokenness, they cried out to God. They begged God for mercy. They repented of their sins. And the Bible tells us, and even church history shows us, that in 536 BC, God raised to the leadership of the Persian Empire a man by the name of Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great had a, a very specific plan in God's sovereign purposes in history. One of the things that Cyrus the Great did is he rele released the Jews that were in Babylon. He not only released them, but he sent many of them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple so that they could be restored in the worship of their God. Incredible reality. In fact, not only did Cyrus the Great release them, he literally even supported them and provided them with all that they would need to rebuild God's temple. So it would seem in this moment that God's people are in a good place. They've been delivered from slavery and captivity. They've been released to go back to Jerusalem. They've been equipped and empowered to go and literally rebuild the temple of God to restore worship in the way that God desired it. So this should be a good day. But by the time Haggai comes on the scene, it is no longer 536 B.C., no. History tells us it was actually 520 B.C. 16 years had passed. For 16 years, God's people had been in Jerusalem with all the resources they needed, all the help they needed to restore the temple and to do what God had called them to do, but for 16 years, they had not accomplished very much. So what happened? Why was the work not done? Why were they in such a desperate place. And I believe what God begins to show us as they considered their ways, three things that the people of God did, and I wanna challenge us to really examine our own life and ask, are these things true in our own life? If we're gonna examine their ways and examine our own, I believe there's three things we need to recognize. First off, we need to see what the people said. 
Now remember, God releases the people. He lets them go to Jerusalem. He provides them with all they need. He has commissioned them to rebuild the temple, to restore the worship of God. Now 16 years have passed and they still haven't done it. Notice what they said, verse two. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. In other words, the people in this moment had leaned for whatever reason on their own understanding and determined that it simply was not time for them to do the Lord's work. Now maybe we can sympathize with them for just a moment. After all, they had been in captivity for 50 years. Maybe as a result of that, they were impacted mentally and emotionally and relationally. Maybe they didn't feel ready for such a grand task as rebuilding the temple of God. Additionally, we understand from other books of the Bible that there are at least some scribes, Jewish people in their day, who knew the Old Testament really well, who were looking at God's timeline and saying, well, listen, I don't think it's time. God says we're gonna be in captive in Babylon for 70 years, and it's only been 50 years. But the reality is the scribes were off in their understanding. Maybe they just listened to wrong teaching along the way that caused them to be complacent and to compromise. History also tells us, according to Ezra chapter four, verse six, as the people of God had been released to Jerusalem, they actually started rebuilding the foundation of the temple and were even beginning to get things in line to build the altars when all of a sudden there were armies around them that began to attack them and began to put pressure on them and to discourage them. And as a result of that, the people's fear began to grow and the work came to a halt. So think about that. Well, maybe, that, maybe that's understandable. Maybe, maybe because they were afraid, they didn't do what God wanted. Maybe they just felt too much pressure around them and they didn't have any confidence in themselves. There's a lot of things we can look for, but the bottom line is this. They came to the conclusion and said, we don't have the time. It's not time yet to do what God has called us to do. In other words, they came to this conclusion because they were leaning on their own understanding and not seeking the Lord. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. The reality is they were leaning on their own logic instead of walking by faith and trusting in the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So here they are in Jerusalem, 16 years. And here's what they're saying. It's not time yet. It's not time to do what God wants us to do. It's not time yet to fulfill the work that he's put before us. It's not time to accomplish these things. And no doubt along the way, they came up with their own excuses to justify their actions. But the bottom line is they simply reasoned it was not a good time for the work of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Can you relate? Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked at the things of the Lord and determined, uh, now's not a good time. It's not time yet. I'm not ready. I don't have the, the time to. The truth is, is that it's easy at times in our life to look at the things of the Lord and to process them through the lens of our own preferences and conveniences. How often do we look at what God has put before us, things that he's called us to do, things that he's convicted us of, opportunities that are clearly from him, and we've simply responded by saying, it's not time yet. The truth is, as long as we are focused on ourselves, the enemy will always give us a reason to delay and dismiss the will and work of God. I got a question for you. If the time to be serious about the Lord and his work is not now, when will it ever be the time? If you're not serious about living for the Lord now and putting his will and his glory above your own, really, will the, will the time ever really come? Someone says, oh, when the, when the kids are grown and leave home and I have more time, then I'll get serious about the Lord. Will you? 
Or, or you know, when, when, I, when I have my financial house in order and everything is going good and everything's completely out of debt and I have millions, then I'm gonna get serious about my time with the Lord. Really? You think it's gonna be a priority then if it's not a priority now? Or when I get a new job, when I'm ready to retire, at what point do we really think we're gonna get serious about the things of the Lord? And what guarantee do you ever have that you're gonna live long enough to get there? The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The Bible says our life, it's like a vapor. It appears here for a moment and then vanishes away. So what's important is this. While we have the time, let's make our relationship with the Lord and our service to him the most important thing about the time that we have. Romans 13 reminds us a simple call, an exhortation of the church in that day. I think it was a call that God was largely given to the people of Haggai's day, and maybe even here today, when God says in Romans 13, do this knowing the time, but now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer to us than when we believed. Please understand, he was not talking about physical sleep. If you see somebody physically sleeping nearby, it's now high time to give them a backhand and wake them up, but that's not the passage of scripture, the application. The application is those who are spiritually lethargic, spiritually complacent, spiritually completely ignorant of the things going on. It's time to wake up to be about the Lord and about his work. Consider your ways, consider specifically what the people said, but secondly, I think this is really pressing. Consider what the people showed. Consider what the people showed. So they said, it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. But think for just a moment about their actions. What did their actions reveal? Maybe let me illustrate it in this way. Let's just pretend for just a moment that uh, a parent looks at their children on a Saturday afternoon and the parent says to the three children who are old enough to stay at home by themselves for a while, listen, I'm gonna go to the grocery store, I've gotta get some groceries, and I've gotta swing by this other store, I'm gonna be gone for two or three hours, but while I'm gone these two or three hours, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to wash the dishes, I want you to clean up the tissues and the napkins, and, and, and I want you to make your beds in your bedroom. And then the parent goes off and, and the kids understand what they're supposed to do. The parent goes off and the parent goes to the stores, get all the things that they need and comes back home just like they said about two and a half, three hours later. And as soon as they walk in, the parent realizes nothing's been done. The beds aren't made. There's tissues all over the floor. In fact, there's more dishes on the counter now than there were when they left. But the parent is kind and gracious, doesn't say a word for a moment and Gets to working, preparing dinner. The family sits down for dinner and all of a sudden the kids begin to talk. Oh, mom, let me tell you. Let me tell you what I did today. I talked to my friend, old Bessie. She's doing great. She had a great vacation with her family. We talked for like an hour. Okay. Then, then the other person speaks up. Mom, I'm a, I, I, I played this video game and I got to a whole new level and it was awesome. The graphics were so cool. And the other, the other child speaks up, man, I planned my whole birthday celebration with all my friends. I got all the games. It's going to be amazing. All the while, the parent is recognizing and realizing, wait a second, while I was gone, nothing I gave them to do was accomplished. While at the same time, they were spending their time doing other things they wanted to do. It's kind of that same illustration when God looks at his people in this moment and says, wait a second, you say that you don't have time? Let me ask you a question. Is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while my house lies desolate? 
please understand, this is a simple question, but it is a sobering question. And if we consider it in the context of our day-to-day, I wanna say, I think for many of us, it is extremely convicting. Oh, you say you don't have the time. There's not enough time in your life. You've got other things going on, lots of distractions. You say it's not time. But is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while my house lies desolate? Please understand what's happening. So think of this for a second. When the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the entire city, burned the whole thing to the ground. Which meant in order for the people of God in Haggai's day to live in houses, it meant they had to build them. Isn't it interesting that God commissioned them to go to Jerusalem to rebuild his house when the reality is 16 years later, the only house that's completed are their own houses. And not only is it their own houses, the Bible says it was paneled houses. We understand from from history in this context, these were like luxurious houses. These are the types of houses that are only described in the Old Testament as those that kings were living in. It was likely paneled by cedar, a very ornate and beautiful, fresh-smelling wood. And and so the reality is, is that These people are not only living in houses they've built, they're living in luxurious, ornate houses. Consider this even a little bit further for just a moment. 16 years earlier in Ezra chapter three, when Cyrus released the Jews to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, he provided them with everything that they needed. He even gave them money and resources to go to Tyre and Sidon to purchase wood. Why? Because the first temple that was built years ago, the wood came from Tyre and Sidon. So in Ezra three, he gives them all that they need to go get the wood and they bring it with them to Jerusalem. I got a question for you. What happened to all the wood that was needed to rebuild the temple. Here in Haggai chapter one, the Bible literally says in verse eight, so guys, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and may be glorified, says the Lord. In other words, 16 years later, God is saying, now you need to go back to the mountain and get more wood. I got a question for you. What happened to all the wood that came to this city 16 years ago? Did it rot? Maybe, but not very likely for cedar. Somebody steal it? Possible, but it doesn't seem very likely. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it leaves us to kind of wonder. Wait a second. What have these people been doing in Jerusalem for 16 years? And where did they get the money to build these luxurious paneled houses? And where did all the wood go that was meant for God's house? God looks at them and says, so wait a second. You say it's not time to be about me and my will and my work and my glory. While you live in your paneled houses? Really? So you see, what God was doing in this moment is this. He is showing them what their actions were revealing. Their actions were revealing a major problem. And that problem was this. They were more concerned about their comforts, their conveniences, their desire, their kingdom, than they were the kingdom of God. They were more concerned about what they wanted, what made them feel good, than they were about serving God and living their life for his glory. The problem is that the people were more concerned about their luxury, pleasures, conveniences, and desires than they simply were the will of God. And the evidence of that is that they were simply living for themselves. Perhaps this is a question that God is asking the church today. Is it time for us too to dwell in our nice houses while his house lies desolate? Is it time for us to be all about our busyness while we ignore and dismiss and minimize the busyness or the work specifically that God has put before us to do? Perhaps that many of us are struggling, perhaps many churches are struggling for this very reason. We're living for ourselves and not for the things of God. Maybe the question seems outdated for us. 
Oh, pastor, that's, that's like 500 years even before Jesus was born. That's so long ago. But maybe let's kind of ask this question in a practical way that might speak more into our culture today. Maybe if the Lord were asking this question today, it might sound something like this. Is it time for you to spend so much time on the ball field while your seat sits cold in the place of worship? Is it time? Is it time for you to spend all that energy on social media while fellowship with my people is often ignored? Is it time for you to spend so much time watching television and playing so many games that you reject time with me in prayer and reading my word? Is it time for you to spend so much money on eating out on things you don't really need while giving so little to me? Is it time for you to expect that others will do all the work while you dismiss the opportunities and the gifts that I have given you? Is it time for you to keep pursuing your American dream while so many people throughout the world have never heard the name of Jesus? Is it time for you to sleep around when I say it's time for you to wait and to prayerfully consider marriage? Is it time for you to live for yourself or is it time for you to live for me? I think if we're honest about it, those questions make us a little more uncomfortable. Might even make us mad. How dare you, preacher? The fact of the matter is, is that the problem in Haggai's day is very much so the problem in the American church today. And that is in many cases we're living for ourselves and not for the Lord and for his glory they had more than enough time and energy to do great things, but instead they spent it on themselves and were negligent to the things of the Lord. What God is largely asking us from our words and our action is simply this. Is he truly the Lord? Is he first place in our life? Are we truly living for him? And the third thing we see then is this, what the people saw. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? I think I heard a few oh me's. What the people saw. The Bible makes it clear that because of their negligence and their disobedience, they were experiencing much hardship. In fact, God says it this way in verse six, you sow much but harvest little, you eat, there's not enough to be satisfied, you drink but there's not enough to become drunk, you put on clothing but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Verse nine, you look for much but behold, it comes a little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, he says, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Verse 11, I even called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, the grain, the new wine, the oil, what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. What the people saw, what they experienced was this. They wanted to live their life for themselves and reject God, and God let them with all of its consequences. They began to spin their wills. They began to work tirelessly, but all completely in vain because they were rejecting the Lord and rejecting his work for them. The reality is there are always consequences when we disobey the Lord. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, their strength was spent in vain. They sowed abundantly, but reaped a meager harvest. When they ate and drank, they weren't filled or satisfied. Their clothing didn't keep them warm and their income didn't cover their expenses. As supplies became scarcer, prices got higher and the little remaining money was put in a wallet full of holes. Aren't you glad we don't deal with any of that in today's culture? <laughs> What's interesting to me in this moment is that apparently this had been going on for a long time. 
But because the people were living in ignorance spiritually, they were blind to the truth. They didn't realize why this was happening. They, they kind of rationalized it. Well, you know, this is life in a fallen world. We're just going to have hard times. Well, this, this is life. You know, we, we've been gone from Jerusalem for 50 years and all these other people are pressing against us and this other political party's in charge and, and, and this, is, this is gonna be life under this regime. Surely today, we can relate in some ways, can't we? They rationalized it. But God says, why has all this happened? It's happened not because of the king and not because of the outside pressures and the political parties. It's not happened just because it's life. It's happened because you have rejected me, is what God is saying. Verse 9, he says, because of my house, which lies desolate, well, each of you runs to his own house. Someone said, man, that, you, mean, you mean God would bring consequences for our actions? Yeah, Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. If you were to show up to work tomorrow and your boss were to say to you, hey, here are these tasks I want you to do, and you'd be like, nope, I'm not doing them. Do you think your boss would pat you on the back? No, your boss would say, you're demoted or you need to find a new job. That's how it goes. Uh, college students, let's say you show up for class and the professor tells you, listen, I got a small project for you. It's not that big of a deal. I want you to write this essay for me. It's due by the end of the week. Let's say the end of the week comes and you email him, hey, I'm not getting it done, I don't like it, I'm against it, I'm just not doing this essay and you know, I'm not going to do any other work in your class. Do you think he's gonna give you a grade? Not a good grade. No, the reality is he's not gonna be very favorable. And the reality is when we reject what God has called us to do, there are just consequences. And the reality is people in Haggai's day rejected the will of God. And the fact is, God allowed them to experience the consequences of that. And as a result of that, they lived their life aimlessly, spinning their wheels, going completely over and over and over again in a broken cycle that led to complete discouragement and, frankly, an empty way of living. In the midst of it all, God says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider your ways. The reason you were not growing, the reason you were not moving forward, the reason you're not accomplishing all the things that are in your heart and mind, the reason you find yourself discouraged, the reason you find yourself defeated, the reason why you find yourself in this constant place of, of complacency where you realize your life's not mattering for eternity and there's not clear purpose in is because you have rejected me. Consider your ways. I was like, Pastor, what a discouraging message. Now, actually, it's a message of great hope because God was not done with the people of Israel. The reason he called them to consider their ways is because God loved them, God cared for them, and he wanted them above anything and everything else to be in a right relationship with him. So I want you to see the second point, and we'll say it quickly, and that is this. What else should we do? The time is now to consider your ways, but the time is also now to commit yourself to the work of the Lord. Because what was happening in Haggai's day was a matter of God's work, God called them back to a specific task because their issue of sin was an issue of negligence in God's word, God calls them to turn from their current complacency and to recommit themselves to the work of the Lord. 
That's why verse 12 explains it. All the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. In other words, when Haggai speaks this message, when Haggai asks this question, is it time for you to dwell in your paneled houses while my house lies desolate? They didn't get mad. They didn't huff and puff. Well, I'm gonna find another prophet that will accept me for what I choose. I'm gonna find another place that will accept me for what I want. No, they received it as the word of God. And here's what they did. They humbled themselves. They acknowledged their disobedience. They acknowledged their lack of faithfulness and they recommitted themselves to the will and to the work of God. In other words, they recognized in that moment that the problem was not with God, the problem was with them. And they owned their responsibility in it. They got right with God and pressed forward into the things of the Lord And I love that as soon as they committed themselves to the work of the Lord, notice what verse 13 says. What a word of assurance. The Bible says, Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord of the people, saying, I am what? With you, declares the Lord. No wonder life had been so hard. No wonder nothing had been accomplished for 16 years. No wonder God's house lied desolate. The reality is because they were willing to live a life without God, the reality is God was willing to let them keep on trying. But now that they've repented, now that they've gotten restored to a right relationship, now that they've recommitted to the work of the Lord, the Lord comes and he says, he doesn't blame them, he doesn't shame them. He says, I want you to know something. I'm with you. I'm with you. I've not abandoned you. I've not rejected you. I'm showing you grace. I'm showing you mercy. I'm showing you favor. I'm with you. Let's go forward together is the idea. The Bible tells us loud and clear in verse 14, then the Lord stirred up everyone to come and to work on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. What's amazing is for 16 years, nothing had much been accomplished for the work of the Lord But now that God's people came together in unity, God did an amazing work. In fact, it would take just under four years, but eventually the people coming together, committed to the Lord and committed to his work, they would fulfill and complete what God had called them to do. You know, as I close this message and I think about today where we're at in this body of believers, I realize there are some of us here today that have never accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior Maybe you've been in church, maybe you haven't been in church, maybe it's the first time in a long time you've ever been in a place like this and you're hearing this message and you're sitting there wondering, what in the world does Haggai have to do with anything in my life today? Well, the reality is, is that God was working in Haggai's day to show an incredible thing that he was going to do in the future. The fact is that all of us are like the children of Israel in the sense that we are prone to wonder and we're prone to stray. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God in his grace and mercy has made a way for us to be forgiven and to be saved. Just like God was gracious to the people in Haggai's day, calling them to a relationship, God wants you to be in a relationship with him. And that relationship comes the very moment we admit our sin and call upon Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. But you know, I believe today there's many of us here who are saved. We know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. For many of us, Maybe it's true in our life that we need to pause and consider our ways. Maybe we're a lot more like the people in Haggai's day than we care to admit. Maybe God's calling us today to pause and really examine, are we really living for the Lord? 
Are we worshiping him? Is he really first place in our life? We call him Lord and Savior, but is he really our Lord and ruler? But I believe Crosslink as a congregation, as a body of believers, God has done an incredible work in recent years. But the reality is as we move forward into the coming year, into the coming years, Lord willing, of ministry, I genuinely believe God has greater things in store. But we must be faithful to make sure that he is first and foremost and that we are doing what he's called us to do and not losing sight or becoming negligent in it. I think this reality of committing ourselves to the work of the Lord at Crosslink in this season of ministry requires three things of us. It is a call to faithfulness. It's a call to faithfulness where we are faithful in our relationship with the Lord. There is so much that God has done, but I want to remind us, we've got to keep walking with the Lord and be faithful to him. The people in Haggai, they largely lost sight of the work of God because they quit walking with God and trusting him. They began to live by fear and that threw everything off. We must be faithful. It's not a call to faithfulness, it's a call to finish the work that God has put before us. And Haggai, they literally, they were put there to rebuild the temple, but the fact is they got the foundation set and they began to focus on even getting the altars repaired, but the fact is they did not finish the work until God raised up Haggai to confront the issues at hand. Crosslink, we sit in a, in, in a beautiful facility that God has provided for us. Many of you know the story and the history. Years ago in the early 2000s when the outside of the structure was put up, this literal structure became a millstone for this church. It almost completely drowned this ministry. God has been so gracious over these past 10 years to bring us to where we are financially, towards getting out of debt and for finishing this worship space so that we can meet. But the reality is there are spaces all around this building, upstairs, on the other side of these walls that still are unfinished. And there are ministries today that have been hindered. And there are things that we've had to say no to in the community simply because it's unfinished. We don't have the space to do that. I believe God's calling us in this coming season to finish what he's already put before us to do. But finally, it's a call to further the worship of the Lord. At the moment of their repentance and recommitment to the work, the people did not know all that God had in store. But listen to this promise in Haggai chapter two, verse nine. God explained in this temple, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of host. The Jews did not know all that God was going to do in this temple. All they knew is that God was calling them to build it. But what God knew was this. The glory he would demonstrate in this temple was greater than the glory revealed in Solomon's temple. Why? Because it would be in this future temple that one day the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus would come into this temple. And when he'd come into this temple, he would find people doing all sorts of things in the temple they shouldn't, and Jesus would literally clean house, and then he would turn around and look, and he'd say, this, my Father's house, is meant to be a house of prayer for all the nations. A greater glory is revealed there because Jesus, the very Son of God, it would be here that he would minister, and it would be here that he'd restore this place to proper worship as a reminder of promise that this is a place that his glory would be first. The fact of the matter is today, Crosslink Community Church, as we consider what God is doing here, we also consider what God can do all throughout this valley 
as we get serious about his work, serious about his name, and go out and take the gospel message all throughout Augusta County and Verona, all throughout the Newmarket area, towards the Broadway area, all throughout the Elkton area, all throughout the regions and beyond, even throughout the state and beyond that in the context of the world, as we consider what God might do as we join him in furthering his work. All over the building, I wanna ask you, will today you look at God's work and come to the agreement that the time is now. All over the building, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we love you, we praise you for who you are, what you're doing. We recognize today that we need you. God, I pray right now that you would move in our hearts and lives, that we would be stirred. God, I'm sure today that parts of this message, some of the questions maybe, made us uncomfortable, but I pray for your glory where it was needed, that we'd be okay with that. I pray that we'd respond with faith and surrender, repentance where it's needed in our lives. God, have your way in us, I pray. I pray that we would not be like the people of Haggai's day, saying that it's not yet time to do the things of the Lord, but clearly showing by our life, we got plenty of time for the things that we want and like, plenty of time for self. May we put you first in all things. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.